0: Hi, folks, Chris Voss here from dot com. .com. Hey, we're coming to you here with another great podcast. We certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Thanks for being with us today. And uh, oh my gosh, we're just having the most awesome guests lately. They're just blowing our mind, lighting up the boards, and uh, now you get to listen for free. But guess what? If you want to watch the video version of this, you can go to YouTube.com, Chris Voss, hit the bell notification. You can feel like you're part of a special family or part of a special family. Your choice, you choose. Go to Goodreads.com, Chris Voss. All the groups on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram, and all that good stuff. Today, we have a most amazing author. His book is coming out. This is going to be a brilliant read. You're going to definitely grab the pre-sale on this. He is the author of the new book called Buyable. guide to building a self-managing, fast-growing, and high-profit business. I heard those are always good to take and have, those high-profit, fast-growing businesses. The name of the author and the gentleman we'll be talking today, Steve Pereira, his passion is to help entrepreneurs build great businesses. He's helped more than 250 businesses become more valuable and viable as investment banker, and a management consultant, and a business coach. He built, scaled, and sold his own business in Hungary before moving to America, and he's written three books about his experiences, including Buyable, Your Guide to Building a Self-Managing, Fast-Growing, High-Profit Business that's coming out soon. He lives in Virginia, and welcome to the show, Steve. How are you?
1: Thank you, Chris. What a wonderful introduction. I wish my mother heard it, but hopefully she'll tune in and she can listen to it.
0: We'll, we'll be giving you a copy so you can send it to your mom. I'd love to have your mom be part of uh, be, 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 be part of our great audience. So there you go. Take of it. So give us the dot coms where people can look you up, find out more about you and order of your fine book.
1: Okay. The book, you, it's on Amazon, pre-order. It's going to come out soon, but you can buy it at a 50% discount. Uh, I also have .com where you can download the introduction, the first chapter and you can also go on viabilityassessment.com uh, if you want to figure out whether your business is viable there are 40 questions and six six different approaches and it's going to tell you exactly where your business is strong where your business is weak and what you need to do to make it more viable
0: that's pretty cool so what motivated you want to write this book
1: i tell you what so i was an investment banker for The first, you know, uh, uh, starting about uh, 20 years ago and uh, until about eight years ago. And I often have the regret of selling some, some companies too early before they became more viable because I didn't know all that stuff. Uh, Plus myself, I was in a situation where I wanted to sell my business and it wasn't viable. So I had my own uh, experiences And this all together, being an investment banker, management consultant, business coach, and all that experience I had the last 20 years or so, I put it into this book. And my motivation was to help other people make their business viable. So when the time comes, whether it's a health issue or whether it's a family issue, or they just feel burned out, or they want to do something else, they have a next chapter in their life that they want to focus on, then they have options and they have a Bible business and they can move on or they can step back and they don't have to run the business because it's a Bible business.
0: There you go. And so you give them walkthrough guide in your book on how to do that. Give us an overview of some of the details that you have in there and what you cover.
1: So uh, making a business viable it's about, it's not about selling the business. So first of all, I'd like to make this point. It is about creating a business that other people want to buy. And if you create that business, then you might never want to sell because it's a great business that is self-managing, meaning that you as the owner, you don't have to labor in it day in, day out. You can be on the board or you can be just a visionary of the company. You can have all the fun with a lot less of the stress. Or you can sell it. And basically, it's a process. It's a four part process that I explain in the book. And the first one, the first part is nothing to do with the business. It's all about you as the business owner. So, what do you want with your life? What is an idea? What does an ideal life look like for you? Is it being the entrepreneur and running the business? And that's fine. If that is, that's that's fine. Uh, is it a visionary that sits on the board and doubles in the business whenever they, they want, want that for the stimulation, for the social interaction, for you having the status of owning a company? Or do you want to do something else? Is your ideal life maybe focusing on a hobby or spending time with your loved ones or is it a philanthropic endeavor? For whatever it is, first figure that out. And when you figure it out, there's one of the tools in the book called the Magic Number Calculator. You can also go on magicnumbercalculator.com. So you can calculate your magic number, which is the amount of money, what you need in order to transition to your next chapter, whether this retirement, another business or a hobby or philanthropy or whatever it is. So the first is, what do you want to do? Then what is it going to take you to get there? Uh, And when you have your magic number then we look at uh, your business, and we also have another calculator called Value and Growth You can you can do that too. So you, you can value your business now, and you can use your magic number to figure out where you need to take your business. You know what your time horizon is, so we figure out where you are, where you need to be, and then how you're gonna get there. So the second part of the book is all about orchestrating the business because. Having a business, maybe you have a business which is self-managing, but I see that most businesses, most business owners I meet, 95% of them don't have a self-managing business. So first you need to orchestrate the business to make sure that it is well-run. You've got a great team that runs it for you. You've got a great culture. You have goals. Uh, You have a vision. You're hitting your goals on a regular basis. You measure your people. Uh, You have a good way of of attracting talent and retaining talent, and you're growing the business and uh, being profitable. That's the second part. The third part is increasing the value of the business. So maybe uh, orchestrating the business is not going to take you to where you want to be. Then you need to engineer the value drivers to make sure that this business is growing its value over time and you can take it to the value where you need it to be. And the last part, uh, when you go there and you groom the business so that it is putting its best foot forward to the buyer uh, and investor, then it's all about what do you do? How do you harvest your your business? There are different methods of harvesting. You can sell it or you can recapitalize it when an investor comes in and gives you money and becomes a part owner in your business, or you can even Uh, take money out and refinance your business with a bank loan. There are different ways of approach. You can go to uh, private investors who become minority investors. We also talk about the transaction, what it takes to to create one of these transactions and what to pay attention to. And then finally, what do you do with your life? So are you going to want to hang around this business and be part of the, the business in what capacity when you're not calling all the shots or what you're going to do outside of the business. So it's the whole idea of figure out what you want to use the business for. The business is really a vehicle to take you to your ideal life. And how do you go through figuring that out, orchestrating the business, growing the business, and then harvesting and uh, transitioning to your new life.
0: Wow, that is brilliant, man. You really encompass everything. I never I never, I never, never uh, thought of the term of harvesting and some of the different options. I used to build companies back in the day with with I just plan on keeping them for an empire but there's a lot of people now that in especially in the startup scene in Silicon Valley they're they're looking for exits because they they like the thrill of building something I used like the thrill of building something and sometimes when it gets to a certain scalable point where you're not really the guy anymore, it kind of loses its value, but I never really thought about some of the different harvesting methods you've talked about, about refinancing, maybe taking it to the next level, bringing in other investors or like a shark tank where you could go up to the next level and everything else. I, I really love those ideas.
1: Yeah. I didn't mention shark tank. I don't think yeah. that's really an option for most investors and I don't think it's mm-hmm. it's necessarily an attractive option Sure. Uh, because you don't want to sell your business to a shark because the shark <laughs> yeah. is going to take advantage of you, right? <laughs> Yeah, uh, It's great for the shark. It's not so great for you as a business owner. You actually want to be in a position where you are the shark, where you are calling the shots and a buyable business will attract a number of potential buyers, investors, and they are going to be fighting to be the one that you choose to buy mm. your business. And uh, that's when you can really run a process. And this is what the investment banks do for you. They run a process for you and they will sell your business to the highest bidder if that is your goal, that may not be your goal. This is also something I talk about in the business that you might want to maximize your price, the sale price. You might want to maximize the cash payout uh, when you are harvesting the business at time zero, or you might want to maximize the relationships with the people that you build this company with. And a great story, one, one of my uh, clients, which was uh, a great company, it was a, tech, a technology company, and they figured out uh, a cybersecurity solution. And they they were a company that's been around for a long time and they were stable. They had about $50 million of revenue, 10% profit. And they wanted to, the owners were thinking about uh, transitioning to the new chapter and they hired us and we went out and we beat the bushes and we found over a hundred different investors signed a non-disclosure agreement to look at the book and, and the information. And eventually we only got... Uh, five offers out of a hundred, and they were all very low ball offers. Mm. And this was crazy because very attractive business, but very few offers. And what turned out was the company had a, uh, what we call a concentration problem. They had too many eggs in the same basket. They had one big customer that they were selling 80% of their revenue to. And the buyer were all, buyers are all uh, taken aback. Okay, that's too much of a risk. Maybe it's the relationship. We won't be able to maintain it. And they're going to lose that customer. Even though they had this it was a global customer, they had served them in 15 different countries. So it was a very solid relationship. But nevertheless, and there was one buyer who would have bought it, but they, their condition was that they just wanted to take over the customers and fire the employees. Oh, wow. And the owner said, no, we want to um, maintain this business. We want our employees to continue to prosper. And they decided to turn this company into an ESOP, an employee stock option program. Hmm. And they created this and they are transitioning. They transitioned the company over a number of years to their employees. And they didn't get the highest payout but they got the emotional side. They felt like their legacy was secure. They they were known as a builder and not as a destroyer.
0: That's, a, that's pretty awesome. I've had companies where we built them and then we moved on to other companies and we just would get residual income from our ownership in them. And we put in other managers to take care of it. And it was really nice because you get like a check every month and you're just like, wow, I didn't do anything with that today. <laughs> so that's yeah. pretty brilliant. I like how you, <clears throat> a lot of, Business owners don't go into business thinking about selling their companies. And I like how you have put the package together in the book where people can look at the different aspects of how someone would buy their company. Because a lot of entrepreneurs don't think about that. They don't think about like what you talked about where they had too many eggs in one basket. There's, there's always that 80-20 rule where you have a large, a large company a bunch of your income comes from uh, a core group of clients. And, and if you lose a lot of those, you lose the business. A lot of people don't prepare for if you get sick or get hospitalized or you die. Does, is that business going to live on? A lot of people don't build out managers and other people that could succeed them. So give, give us a little bit more aspects of how you treat that in the book.
1: So the idea here is that the business is a separate entity. And that's an obvious thing that we all know that we have to make sure we document our llc because otherwise the the lawyers will say that or or the uh, courts will say that this is the same one and the same you are the same with your company but on a bigger scale this is a huge problem because companies that depend on their owners are not viable and you're not going to be able to sell so let me tell you my own story so in in 20 2011 I, I was still living in hungary and i was running a business which was we were advising business owners on how to sell their business and the, we had this Eurozone currency crisis in 2011. And uh, countries were going under Greece. You might remember Portugal, Ireland. It was a huge debacle. Banks were not lending money. No one was doing any deals. And we were looking at a great harvesting year. But, but it turned out that this crisis was going to kill all our, all our transactions that we were working on. And my wife and I, we were on vacation and in our, in our vacation home. And we basically saw the 19, you know, 2008 crisis repeating itself. And we had exactly the same things. Everything closed down. And we, we said, are we going to wait for strike three or are we going to make a change? So we decided we tried to come to America. And as I was getting ready to basically packing our luggage, figuratively speaking, I got a call from a private equity fund manager. He was, his name was Chris, Christian and he said hey steve i really love your business and we are running this successful private equity fir- firm and why don't you uh, merge and, and become partners and then create a big uh, you know powerhouse in central europe and i said hey christian that's really great that you uh, you mentioned this and, and thank you uh, it's it's a very it's an honor but actually we decided uh, that we were going to emigrate to the united states so I, I i'm not able to be your partner i'm not going to be around however good timing. If you want to give an, an offer from a business, then feel free, to knock yourself out, give me an offer. And ever since I said that, I've been regretting that sentence because in fact, he did give an offer. So uh, a week later I got his email and basically it was a devastating offer to me. It, it felt like the cobbler who is going, whose son is going barefoot, I was that cobbler. I've been telling these companies for the last, previous 10 years how to make their companies viable. And there I was, I got this offer and the offer basically said that you're the chief cook and the bottle washer, you're the CEO, you, you bring them in the business, you find the investors, you're the marketing, you're everything. So if you leave, then yes, we're interested to buy your furniture. Uh, you got some nice computers. We're going to buy those too. And oh yes, if we close your deals, we give you a commission. Oh. Oh, great great thing. So that was a big wake up call for me. So obviously I decided to hunker down and I put together my my team. I had a great team, but I just didn't empower them. And uh, one of them Laszlo became the managing director for the office and then Robert became the guy who ran execution and and I had Leventer was became the head of sales and 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 Thomas became uh, the head of marketing and then uh, Elizabeth became head of administration and, and uh, we had our call every Monday morning. And basically I just delegated everything and moved to Virginia. And and I was very scared. I thought this is, is this going to work? Who knows? And, and my team actually were super excited. They were running with it. And within a year, the, the business became self-managing and Christian came back to the table. He wrote me a nice check and I was out of there. So that's what is making a business viable all about that when the opportunity comes and I was lucky I only had to commute for a year every three weeks I was on a plane to Europe and we had an office in, in Romania as well so I was going Budapest, Bucharest, Washington DC and I was lucky that I could turn things around but most people don't have the second chance and they are not able to turn it around.
0: Yeah it's, it's 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 some people don't think out of the box in a lot of those different ways I my career company when I moved to Las Vegas my partner stepped down after 13 years and I finally found myself free to go do what I wanted and so I moved to Vegas and ran our Utah corporations for a couple years and yeah I had to go back and forth but it was a way for me to go live my life and let other managers take it over. I like how you've gone through the book and you've you've you teach people how to design the ideal future state of your business where they can reverse engineer it and they're looking at it from a buyer's aspect. I never really did that when I was an entrepreneur where I looked at it from, what do buyers see in here? And what would what are some of the different aspects that a buyer would look at, just like you talked about in your story?
1: So, listen, the buyer is very, very simple. So, what the buyer wants to buy, they want to buy a money-making machine. That's what they want to buy ultimately. They they want to have a business, want to buy a business that they look at They say, okay, I understand this, how this business makes money. And I understand where this business is going. And how it's going to continue to grow and make more money in the future. And that's what I want. So what the buyer doesn't want is, here's a business, I'm leaving, here are the keys, you do whatever you want, Uh, we don't really know where we're going, but you'll figure it out. That's not a great investment, because the last thing the buyer wants is to have a headache, right? They, They want to invest in companies because they have a lot of money. And they want a good place for that money. They want this money to make uh, a good return, but they don't actually want to do the heavy lifting of, of doing this. So so what they want is they want to see a leadership team at the helm of this company that has a vision, that has a plan, who is executing on that vision and who know what they are doing and who have uh, processes and they know how to attract talent to the organization and keep it and how how to grow this business in infinity, basically, and if if they want to make change, if the owner wants to cha- make a change because they are a private equity group and they want to tag on another company or they want to consolidate, it's their business. They might want to do this in the future, but they don't want to depend on their own work to make it successful. They want to buy a, a ready-made company that works without the owner. That's what they want want to buy.
0: Yeah, and if you're the you're the key hog in the wheel, making everything go around and you haven't delegated to your staff. You're, once you leave, your <laughs> business kind of comes exactly.
1: to... And, and that's what the turnaround investors, that's what they do. <clears throat> they say, okay, it's a bunch of risks. So we'll have to figure everything out. So we are going to give you two or three times your profit. And even that we will probably not pay you out upfront, but we'll pay you over time. So you, you shared risk and it's a completely different story. If, if you are... Uh, company, which is a redmit package, which has a great future, then they're going to pay six times, eight times, even more. Wow. Um, for public companies, it could be anything. The sky is the limit, but it has to be a, a good company. And the other thing is that if it's a bigger company, then the options are even uh, larger because a bigger company attracts more investors uh, because investors know that they will do the due diligence and they will Invest in studying this opportunity and they're not going to get all of these opportunities. But if it's big enough, uh, and they go after big deals, then they can amortize their, the cost of looking at a hundred before they get that five. Whereas for small business, you either buy it or not. It's not worth spending time on it if you don't have a high probability to be, be able to buy it. So that's why you need to make it bigger. And when you make it bigger, then the multiples are high. Mm -hmm. So a small company would sell for four or five times profit and a big company can sell for 20 times profit or more.
0: Yeah. And you show people through the aspects of how to make sure they have everything balanced out. One of the things you talk about in your book is the seven management concepts that you need to master to orchestrate your business into a well-oiled machine. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so in the book, I talk about these management concepts. There are seven concepts that have been developed the last century uh, or so, a little bit over the last century, starting in 1911 when Frederick Winslow Taylor figured out he wrote Scientific Management and he talked about processizing organizations. And uh, there are different characters. There there are actually seven different characters I talk about who came up with these concepts, but there are actually three areas. So think about your business as a kind of a circle and the three areas, first the foundation. So you have to build a solid foundation for your business Mm -hmm. and the two concepts that go into there first is the culture and then the structure. So culture and structure and Jim Collins, who is one of the major business thinkers the last 50 years, he talks about uh, this idea of first, you have to make sure you get the right people on the bus, you get the wrong people off the bus and you put the right people in the right seats. So that 's the idea. First, you have to look at and have a great team. If you don 't have a great team you 're never going to get anywhere. So you have to make sure that the culture is right. You define your core values that you, that you operate against, and that you have the right structure for your organization, so you 've got the right people in the right seats so that 's the foundation. Now, if you have the foundation down, then the next one is the direction. So where are we going Where are we going? What is going to be our direction we 've got a great team we 've got a great structure. Uh, And the direction has two components. One is the vision. What is our vision? Where are we going long-term? And uh, it includes your mission or purpose. So what is this company? Why does this this company exist in the first place? What is it doing? You need that because you want to energize your people so that they are part of a big story. Tesla helping the world transition into a sustainable energy. That's a huge story. Being part of that a uh, story is essentially changing the world. Or the other company of, of Elon Musk, I mentioned that because he is the biggest visionary of our time. So he wants to colonize Mars. Can you think of a bigger story? It's a huge story. If you can be a part of that, that's fantastic. So the vision. And then how do you vi- bring the vision down to the ground? You want to set uh, a long-term target. What's going to be your, Jim Collins calls it, the big Harry audacious goal. So y- you have a long-term target that everyone is, uh, striving for. And then you bring it towards the ground with, with uh, your vivid vision. So what does the organization look like in three to five years in in full color. And uh, that's the, that's the vision. And then the strategy, how are you going to get to that uh, that vision? How are you going to create that company that you visualized with your people? That's going to be your strategy. What, how are you going to compete? What kind of resources do you need? How much money you need? What kind of people you need? And then how are you going to manage this whole process? So that's your strategy. And then the third piece of this, of this uh, puzzle piece is, is uh, the production. I call it the production. So it, how do you execute? So you've got your vision, You've got your your culture, you've got your structure, your vision, your strategy, and now it's time to execute. I have this cadence of execution that you set goals and you execute the goal. It's also systemizing your business so that you have processes in your business which allows the the leadership team to delegate and allows them to elevate themselves and to work on strategic issues and higher level issues and build the business. They don't spend uh, their time on on the daily running of the business, they spend the time on growing the business. And the the last one is the alignment. So it's really critical that you have everyone aligned because if you don't have alignment, then people are rowing in different direction. And when you get this energy channel to one direction, your vision and your, your, your strategy, then it becomes a very powerful force. And then you can just move ahead and alignment is tricky. And most companies don't get it because it's about over communicating your vision and you just have to make the time you have to keep telling people and to the point where the people who who are don't want to hear they just leave but you're going to attract the right people and they they're going to stay and they're going to want to be part of your vision Damn,
0: my next company i need to read your book and then and then Really apply these things. Most of the companies, or most when people start a business, they're mostly just like trying to get going and just get the basics, get the product launch or designed and everything else. How important is one of the one of the foundations you talked about with structure? How important is deciding on the right if you're thinking about selling your business in the future? What is is it good to go with a C corp or an LLC? Clearly, if you do a partnership or if you're doing a sole proprietorship. That might be harder to sell. Maybe I don't know.
1: I'm the wrong guy on this topic. This is a tax uh, issue. Next, year. I had a guy who whom I asked exactly the same question on my podcast. So I I don't know. I don't want to get into it. I'm I'm not sure. sure. I sure. have the two types of companies, and I'm using both. And it's not. It's it's. I'm still trying to figure that out.
0: Yeah. And there's always, you got to be careful about piercing the corporate veil and all that good stuff. What is in your book, you talk about a management blueprint. What is that and the major principles involved and how do you pick the right one for you?
1: Yeah, that's a a great question. So So I talked about the seven management concepts. So, you know, culture, structure, vision, strategy, execution, processes, and alignment. So these are the concepts, but how do you implement these in your company? If you're a small business, you probably don't have five mbas on your leadership team who will uh, implement it for you you want you want an easier approach right you want a, a you want a model a framework for that and these frameworks are, i call them management blueprints some people call it business operating system i call it management blueprints and i talk about 10 different management blueprints in my book and the, these management blueprints have been around since the 1980s the first one was the emith Uh, Michael Gerber. And he talked about most people are working too much in the business rather than on the business. And he also talked about technicians who start uh, businesses. You you expect that it's all visionary entrepreneurs that start businesses, but most businesses are started by technicians who maybe they lost their job or or they, they figured out that they can provide a service better than the other person. And then they were doing the thing, but they were not building a company. So there, there are the classic management blueprints, the e-myth, the great game of business, uh, Rockefeller habits. And then the second generation is, actually, these were the pioneers. And then you go to classics. So the classics manage, management blueprints are, are traction that uh, probably many people heard about, scaling up, uh, the advantage, Lencioni. So these, these classics... So the, the pioneers, they were all about the concept of, okay, you have to, you have to implement stuff in your business. You have to implement processes. You have to have a vision, but the classic blueprints, they actually talk about tools. So they created tools that you can just take and implement in the business. It, it became a, a kind of packaging exercise so that it, it's even easier to, to implement that and it's more comprehensive. And then you have the third wave who are this higher, higher level approach where, where you try to either focus on one part of the business, like execution. There's the four disciplines of execution. It's one of the third wave concepts where it gets really deep in, in one area, or there is also the three-heg wave, which is... It's all about strategy and how do you get deep in strategy. So there are altogether 10 books, at least 10 books. I talk about 10 books in my, in my book. And, uh, and you just pick one or you pick a combination of these and then you implement it in your business. And that allows you to orchestrate the business so that you come out at the other end with a very own business, which is self-managing, which is growing and profitable.
0: And that helps you create that great vision alignment and everything else that you need to come out the other side with. You also help people. Let's talk about what the difference is between proactive and reactive entrepreneurs and how that approach determines their financial and emotional success.
1: Yeah, so like in all areas of life, if you are reactive, then you have to improvise. When a crisis hits, then you will have to improvise. I had a client many years ago who was running a niche uh, niche business in the automotive sector, and she she was basically running it uh, single handedly. She had no other even college graduates on the company. It's it a small company, about five million dollars revenue, but half of it dropped down to the bottom line. Very profitable company, a niche player, and and suddenly the owner got uh, diagnosed with. with it's with a potentially fatal illness. And it was obvious that she had to get operated on and her doctor told her that she has to dial back the stress. She, she has to transition maximum one year. She has to have the operation. So she called us and, uh, on first games, it looked like a great company, very profitable niche, you know, dominating in their niche. So we thought that's going to be a great company to sell. And then we looked at, we did our due diligence, and what we found was that there were some, some big issues in the company. First of all, there was no management team to speak of, not yeah. even college graduates on, on the team. It was that one person. There was a major customer concentration. So like in the other example, the 80% of the revenue went to a one big company and they depended on that person. And then their books were a shambles. So there was a bookkeeper, but he was very sloppy and there were cash transactions all over the place. So it was, it was a messy situation. And I told the owner that it's not going to be pretty. We might even not find anyone, but even if you do, it's going to be a low multiple deal. And eventually we ended up, I knew a retired CEO of an automotive company and I caught him and he happened to be interested. He wanted to get back in the game. He was mid-60s. So he was interested, but he had no money. So I found another company, which was in an adult entertainment industry, and they wanted to develop their profile because they couldn't talk about the adult entertainment very profitable they needed other investments to talk about. So they said, okay, uh, we'll, we'll invest in this. It's this a profitable company. We don't know nothing about it, but you, you've got a good guy for us, a CEO, and he's going to run it and we trust you. So they, they put the money in and uh, we sold the company probably three times uh, a multiple. We could easily have sold it at six times if the owner was prepared. She would have just had, if she had a year to prepare she could have fixed uh, she, she could have hired a replacement for her she could have fixed the books if she had a couple of years to prepare she could have diversified the uh, the customers and the company would have been worth at least twice as much wow. so that's a proactive that's a pro, that's a that's a reactive entrepreneur the other example is Uh, Another client of mine was uh, a company, a toy, uh, it's like a Toys R Us in Central Europe, and it was run by two couples, two best friends, uh, Hall of Fame hockey players, Hall of Fame in Hungary, but still local celebrities, and they married a pair of sisters, so very close-knit family. And they started this company, they grew it to about 50 million, and it was very profitable. They ran it on, on an IT system, I think it was SAP. So it was very, well run. And they had their ideal future. So the, uh, the CEO, he wanted to get back into ice hockey and to be active in the federation. Um, the, the, another person, one of the ladies, one of the women, wanted to, to go and, and climb uh, the Himalayas. She wanted to go to the to, to the Arctic, the Antarctic. And they made this, this decided that, okay, this is how we're going to get there. We're going to sell this company and then we can do whatever we want to do. And it was a very easy process. We had multiple offers. We sold it. They could even leave without having to stay for, for even a few months. And, and they got what they want. They actually got more money than they wanted for it because they were prepared. They... They knew what they wanted to do afterwards, and they 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 had their rows in a dock their backs in a row, and it worked like clockwork. So that's so, the difference.
0: That's awesome, and so you've got to prepare for this. Like I said, it was something I never thought about before. I was most of my businesses originally. I thought about building as an empire, but then I found one of the. <laughs> Things changed. Markets changed. My 20-year-old mortgage company is wiped out by the 2008 recession when it killed all the mortgage companies. And I had no idea. I did not see that one coming. And so I really probably should have sold out somewhere at the top. And exited that and then moved on to some other things. Because I didn't really have a love for that business. Now, you were talking about MBAs being on staff, college people, things. Is it really important when investment bankers or when a buyer comes around that you have really high-skilled or high-educated people like that on staff?
1: It depends on the company. Uh, you need to have people that understand the business and can grow the business. At least to the next level, because the the new buyer is going to come in and they want to know that, okay, I'm buying this business for $10 million and I'm going to want to sell it for $30 million in five years. And I want this team to be able to take me there. Or maybe I make one or two changes, but basically I want to see the path, how I'm going to get there. And if I don't see the path, I'm going to discount the price. So that's the ideal situation. Obviously, it's not going to happen all the time. Now, it depends on the company. If, if it's a restoration company, maybe you don't need people with MBAs for sure because what you need is someone who understands what the customers need and can serve the customers. And You need the people who can market the business and uh, who can manage the business. And they may, be, you may have come up through the ranks and you don't need an MBA. But if you want to turn that uh, restoration company into a franchise, a national franchise, you probably need someone who's a savvy business person who has done this or who, who's able to, to learn it and do it. And that's going to be a challenge. If you want to uh, take this restoration company through, through several mergers and do a, buy, a buy, buy and build process, when make the platform and, and roll up the industry and take it to uh, an IPO, then you probably do need an MBA because it's going to be even more complex. So you need someone who, who has done it uh, before. So it depends on the situation and depends on the size of the company. And often companies outgrow their management. Uh, the, manage, you know, uh, the management who take you here is not going to take you there. And sometimes, uh, sometimes managers grow with the company, and sometimes they have to be replaced because they are not able to keep pace or they just don't want to, they don't, it's, it's too much for them. It's too much stress and they check out at some point.
0: That's awesome. So you, you help in the book, it helps people determine the value of their company from, a, from a financial aspect and break it down.
1: Yes. So we have, if they go on value and gross then it will calculate uh, the value of their business based on their mm-hmm. current uh, profitability and industry multiples, it's going to be a rudimentary valuation because the information uh, is limited information, but it gives uh, kind of a, a good idea of the ballpark number. And it can also calculate the growth that they will need, the value growth that they need to achieve over their time horizon. So let's say right now their company is worth 5 million and they need 50 million to the, for the next chapter and they own 75% of the business then they will have to take the value to 20 million. And, and they want to do this in 10 years, then the, the growth internal growth rate is going to be somewhere between, you know around 20% or something like that. So they know what they are up against. If they want to grow their value 20%, they can do this by growing maybe revenue 10% a year and increasing their margin and repaying their loans. So it doesn't have to be a revenue growth 20%. There are different elements there, but... They can, they can grow. I had I had the a, a company, it wasn't a client, but I kept an eye on them. In 2004, <clears throat> the company had, <clears throat> I, I don't exactly I, I remember exact numbers there in the book, but something like they had something like $40 million revenue and $1 million profit. And uh, the valuation would have been $5 million. And then they also had a lot of uh, debt on the company, which uh, reduced the valuation and Within a 10-year period, they only grew the top line by about 7 or 8% a year, but they improved their margin, they repaid a bunch of debt, and essentially they 10 times the value of the company in 10 years. Oh, wow. It's a 10x, a 10x valuation because they, there are many, many levers that you can pull to make your, your business more valuable.
0: That's pretty amazing. Now, <clears throat> I imagine people that want to be get in the buying business, the buying businesses and different things of that nature, might also be a great audience for your book, correct?
1: Right? Yeah, could be. Yeah, Because it, it gives them uh, a roadmap uh, as to how they can transform their business. So maybe they are going to be the one uh, that buys at a three times multiple for an opportunistic seller that maybe is sick or burnt out, and they have to be out, and then they just uh, – Introduce a management blueprint, they orchestrate the business, then they engineer value drivers, they groom it, and then they harvest it. And off they go into the sunset to the next, next chapter.
0: We and reached, they- go ahead.
1: Yeah, no, I just want to say one more thing. So this next chapter thing, entrepreneurs have their life cycle like any organi- organisms, right? Like we have a life cycle, maybe it's 90 years if you're lucky. But there's a thing called the entrepreneurial life cycle. And Gene Landrum talks about that in one of his, his book books. And basically what it says is that it takes about 15 years for an entrepreneur to break through and to be really successful. And he looks at you know, famous entrepreneurs like Jeff Bezos and Zuckerberg and... I think Zuckerberg is not part of the group of the book, but but he looks at many entrepreneurs who are well known, and it took all of them 15 years to break through. And sometimes they started really early, so maybe it's it's a guy in their 20s. But like Zuckerberg is a good example. He was an entrepreneur at the age of 12, 13 already, and okay, by 30 he became a billionaire. But he had his run. So there's this life cycle, and what happens? When an entrepreneur achieves their vision, maybe they have this huge vision, 15-year life cycle, they make it finally. It's very rare that they would look at the next pinnacle and they would be able to march up another bigger hill. It's very rare. It's maybe one in 10 who can do that. So when they are over that, uh, they they achieved everything they wanted, uh, they set out to achieve originally, they feel satisfied. And then it's a good time for them to leave because the company is basically blocked. So if the visionary owner doesn't have a vision, the company suffers. So it's better for another buyer to come in and take this company over. And that's going to be their zero point for them when they buy it. And then they take it to the next level. And sometimes it happens with management teams that they can take it to the next level. And then they, they, they don't feel excited anymore. They know how much work they had to put in to get it here. And they, they don't feel like doing another 15 years of that. And then it's better to bring in someone who is excited about this challenge.
0: There you go. There you go. There was a point in our businesses where we started buying and and investing in other businesses. And really what we were doing I learned this from my commercial agent, business agent friends is they were looking for, they, they get deals, pick off deals where someone's asset rich and cash poor. And so we would step in, give them a first rider refusal thing, like a hundred bucks or 10 bucks or something and be like first rider refusal if you decide to sell. And we get to see their books and look at them. And your, your book would have been a great blueprint for me back then because I could look at all the different aspects of balancing and what the value was. Nine times out of 10, most of the stuff we were doing was, was pretty small time. Usually it was the entrepreneur. Just need to get removed from the business, but sometimes they had a really good business, they just didn't know how to run it, and so we'd probably reverse engineer a book like yours, so that's smart from both ends actually
1: yeah, it's often you know more often than not the bottleneck is the entrepreneur yeah because <laughs> either they don't have the vision or they don't have the skills or they don't have the consistency to make yeah. the business bigger.
0: One thing we always found is they would they would whatever their original model was they would run that sucker into the ground in the bankruptcy court. Like they just would never change the model and maybe it worked for five minutes, but they would just, they just keep burning cash right through. And you're like, maybe you should change the model. Maybe. (laughs) And so your book gives people a great way to look at all the different aspects, break down their business, understand parts of it. They need to grow. That might be the weak imbalancing end of it and all that good stuff. Anything more we need to know about you and your book before we go out?
1: Yeah, you can read the book. I think that's uh, that's a good way. Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm 54 years old, so there's a lot of stories that remained in me. I couldn't uh, share all of them in this hour. But if you invite me back on the show, I can tell you a few more stories.
0: That's awesome. And do you have, is this your first book or do you have other books?
1: I have a couple other books. Okay, so, uh, They are on Amazon and they are available if someone wants to wants to check them out.
0: Now, people can hire you. You still do consulting and everything else in the investment banking field?
1: I'm not an investment banker anymore. Okay. What I do is I, I'm a business coach. I work with leadership teams, and I help them make them the, the number one in their category or to get them to the next, next level and take them and use uh, some of these management blueprints to essentially improve their business, improve the value, increase the teamwork, and help them execute better and orchestrate themselves and build that vision.
0: There you go. So give us your plug, Steve, as we go out.
1: If someone would like to read, so the book is coming out June 1st. It's on pre-order. If you would like to start to read it, then you can go on biblebusiness.com and download the preface introduction, the first chapter. So you can read my own story and you can read what the, you know, the uh, kind of the outline of the of the book and the first chapter. If you would like to get the book, then I recommend that you buy it on pre-order because it's 50% cheaper than when it comes out. So you will get the best uh, ever price on it. And you can also check out the digital tools that come with the book. So uh, if you want to assess the viability of your business, then viabilityassessment.com. If you want to figure out your magic number, magicnumbercalculator.com. Uh, if you want to value your business and figure out how big you have to grow it, then then And I think that's that's enough. If you want to go on my website and check check me out and and see my work and some of my clients, then tractionequity.com is my website.
0: There you go, guys. Thanks for spending some time with us, Steve, and sharing your wonderful information to make us uh, all the more smarter.
1: Thank you, uh, thank you, Chris. Really enjoyed being on the show, and it's it's a great, great honor and great fun to be here and to chat with you on a Friday afternoon.
0: There you go. It's an honor to be here with you too, guys. Check out the book, "Viable: Your Guide to Building a Self-Managing." fast-growing and high-profit business. I highly recommend this in my business experience. There were times where I just did not balance out my business properly and sometimes you want to think about selling a business as opposed to just owning it forever because it didn't work out well for me as market things changed, but learning you grow. Thanks so my audience, for tuning in. Go to youtube.com for just Chris Foss. Hit the bell notification button. Go to goodreads.com for just Chris Foss. You can see all the books we're reading and reviewing over there. You can also see all of our different groups on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram as well. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Stay safe, wear your mask, and we'll see you guys next time.